California is only focused on reducing in-state emissions at any cost, and it continues to be unable to generate enough of its own electricity in-state, but continues to leak that generation responsibility to other states. This is Energy Cast, and I'm Jay Downhower. Today we are talking about energy policy in the world's fifth largest economy, California. There's no question the Golden State is special. About one in eight Americans live there. I spent the summer there in 2000, and you may have caught my SeaWorld story in episode 17. But something about the state's energy policy seems off. At the time of this recording, utilities in the state are still de-energizing lines in certain counties. Over the summer, California had a series of rolling blackouts. Look, it was super hot here in North Carolina too, but we still had AC. My guest believes California isn't the victim of bad luck. He says the mix of overregulation, shuttered power plants, overdependence on intermittent renewables, and a reliance on power from outside the state is causing these problems. He says California has closed a nuclear plant, San Onofre, which was made most famous in the first Naked Gun. You know the scene. Everywhere I look, something reminds me of her works a little better visually. That old girl provided carbon-free power for 2 million households. California also closed three natural gas plants. My guest says the state has plans to close down five more plants. I work in the transmission sector, as you may know, so my response would be, look, if California doesn't want to make its own power, that should be a benefit to the other states, right? But my guest says this only creates more expensive energy for Californians, who are paying for up to a third of their power from other states, wheeled in at a premium. He also adds, that this defeats the goal of lower emissions because the power generated in those other states for Californians had emissions, a phenomenon he calls leakage. The policy also extends to oil and gas. California still needs fuel, but I couldn't believe how much oil is imported from foreign soil when there are major fracking operations in Wyoming, Colorado, and Utah. And what about all these wildfires? I found a pic of Governor Gavin Newsom and President Trump for the website page for this episode, only to realize it was from last year, during the president's most recent annual wildfire trip to California, both men agreed on additional forestry management, which is great to see. But then Governor Newsom tried to settle the president's hash with this statement about climate change. I think there's an area of at least commonality on vegetation, forest management, uh, but please uh, respect, and I know you do, uh, the difference of opinion out here as it relates to this fundamental issue on the issue of climate change. Absolutely. Appreciate that. You know, I've tried to keep an open mind with my guests on this issue, but if you expect me to believe that the top concern for a state that sees hundreds of thousands of acres burned annually is global carbon emissions, you're looking at the wrong solution. Plus, fires in 2020 alone have burned over 3 million acres, and that alone is about 25% more emissions than all fossil fuel emissions in the state. Look, it's a noble effort to lead the nation in emissions reduction. But these policies in place have led to higher prices, less reliability, and ultimately greater carbon emissions. A state as great as California deserves better solutions.
My guest today is Ron Stein, Ambassador for Energy and Infrastructure for PTS Advance, an energy firm based in Irvine, California. When I decided to do a California episode, I reached out to CFACT, who I've done work with in the past. They recommended Ron, who's written several thoughtful articles on energy policy and has so far authored two books, Energy Made Easy and Just Green Electricity, which was released this past summer. Within the last week, he's published two op-eds laying out the case for California's energy policy as he sees it. Not a day after our interview, Governor Newsom announced a historic executive order phasing out the sale of all new gas cars in California by 2035. Ron and I jumped back on the phone late last week to discuss that as well. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ron Stein. We're here with Ron Stein, Ambassador for Energy and Infrastructure at PTS Advance. He's also a California resident. And Ron, you wrote an op-ed recently where you lay a lot of the issues going on with California's energy issues. And you say that California imports about 32% of its electricity from other states. Now, just being devil's advocate here, how is that a bad thing? Doesn't it help the other states? Well, it helps the other states because if they have the energy, they can send it to us. It's expensive energy. We're paying dearly to import that energy, it's a bad thing for California because we're relying on others to produce the energy and then we allow our citizens to pay the premium. you got to remember, California, we only have a half of 1% of the world's population and we profess to be the leader of everything. Through our dysfunctional energy policies, we import more electricity than any other state, currently at 32% from the Northwest and the Southwest. And in recent years, we've had four major power plant closures. We closed a nuclear power plant at San Onofre, which served 2 million people. We closed three natural gas power plants in 2018. And we're not replacing it with intermittent electricity from wind and solar. And besides, we have no way to store it. And residents are resisting building those ugly things in their backyard. You have to understand, California is so focused on reducing our emissions in state and we're promoting leakage to other states, relying on others to generate the power in less environmentally controlled locations. California is the most environmentally controlled location in the world, but we basically want others to produce our energy, produce more emissions to the world. Our policy is really hoping the Northwest and the Southwest can produce enough energy for California. If a heat spell occurs here and heat spell occurs there, they're going to take it and not have anything for us. Consequently, we have the blackouts. Look, I was there in California in the summer of 2000, so 20 years ago. But over the summer of 2020, we were hearing about rolling blackouts in California. So why now? And how is that different from the blackouts in 2000? I think 2000 was more related to deregulation and some issues concerning Enron, right? These are a little bit more supply-based, right? Well, we have more people, got more gadgets, and less power. And shuttering power plants that's providing continuous electricity, you're supposed to have blackouts. The future looks bleaker. We shut down four major power plants in the past, and we got five more we're planning to shut down. Yeah. And Ron, look, I work in transmission here in the Carolinas. In California, there was a wildfire last year caused by a transmission line. What happened there? As you know, fires are mostly started from lightning. Today, we have homeless people. We got transmission lines in unmanaged forests. That is becoming a real problem. Housing is pretty expensive here, so people are being forced to move further and further out. And you're moving 
into the forest and the forest we can't even cut down a dead tree you know wind and solar in the remote locations where people live require transmission lines to bring the power to the people and you know it takes 10 years to get a permit to bring the power to where the people are this all started back in the obama era of forestry restructuring regulations from 2012 it waylaid already established preventive maintenance measures that could have averted some power outages in the raging fires but like i say people have to go to safer grounds at the expense of the federal government now are there issues about them not doing vegetation in the right-of-ways here in the carolinas we keep them pretty clear you could pretty much play golf down a right-of-way where a transmission line's going down well that's the bad thing for the utility companies because you're right in the past when you had a right-of-way you could keep your right-of-way clear now because people are moving into the forest the utility companies have to provide power to them and they don't have the authority to cut down dead trees. And they're basically building these transmission lines over tinder boxes. And if there's a spark, there's a lot of fuel. It doesn't help each other, that's for sure. And look, Ron, I usually don't get onto too much climate change talk on this show. I really like talking about energy, right? But these wildfires right. have a huge part of the intermingled energy supply story in California this year. There's a lot of talk about mitigating climate change. You had President Trump there with Gavin Newsom, your governor, and I think Governor Newsom brought up some issues about climate change. But wildfires and blackouts from heat every year. Talking about the biggest thing you guys need to do is mitigate climate change is like sitting in a sinking boat and waiting for the water to evaporate. <laughs> That's it. And as I mentioned, California, we represent half of 1% of the world in population. Newsom wants to solve the world's problems right here in California at the expense of the citizens. Yeah. And look, I mean, here's the other thing too, is that <laughs> climate change is affecting the entire planet. It's only California, it seems, that has raging wild fires every year. Yeah, I think Newsom believes that climate change is only affecting California because Australia had a lot of wildfires, but the Aborigines, they learned how to control fires thousands of years ago by doing some preventive maintenance, but we can't do that anymore. You discussed California's plan for new electric generation. What do they want to build? <laughs> Let me give you an analogy. Before you skydive, you want to make sure you have a parachute. You plan before you jump. Well, California is crusading toward 100% renewables by 2045, and it continues to be unable to generate enough of its own electricity in state. And elected leaders and special interest groups blatantly ignore the California climate policy is real clear. You're supposed to account and avoid greenhouse gas emission displacement to other states. We totally disregard that. And we basically allow others to produce our energy. California is only focused on reducing in-state emissions at any cost and ridding the state of the oil industry, including natural gas and nuclear, but has no plans to replace the shuttered capacity in-state, but continues to leak that generation responsibility to other states. This great plan is based on the hopes that other states will have that extra capacity to add to the grid. In California, our goal is zero nuclear power plants that can generate zero emission electricity. If you take a look in 2016, Natural gas generators accounted for 42% of operating generating capacity in the U.S., with 200 more set to open soon. California's goal is zero natural gas power plants, and the California Green Goals are only to rely on intermittent electricity from wind and solar and hope that the Northwest and Southwest can generate enough power for us. Wind and solar, they leak environmental degradations and labor atrocities to other countries, and all that effort 
effort is for intermittent electricity. That's the California plan. Well, Ron, I talked to a lot of people who are innovating in energy, and a large number of them come from California. So, you know, you got a lot of brain power there. I don't want to knock California too much because they do bring up a lot of innovation and everything. I'm curious, what should they be doing to prevent blackouts, and how could they serve as a leader for the rest of us? Because they are our largest state. And look, maybe they don't need to do all the generation in their state. Maybe they could boost their transmission into the state and that would alleviate some of it. What are your thoughts on it? You live there. Well, my thoughts are we have the most environmentally controlled location in the world. And if you're going to build anything that's going to produce some emissions, that's where you want to build it. And my thought is you want to generate more in-state. It basically control the power. We can generate uh, electricity at lesser cost. Transparency of why prices are so high for electricity and fuel. That is something that California should do. Be transparent. I'll talk about fuel. The governor, attorney general, have already forgotten that in 2018, Senator John Warlock sponsored a bill championed by the minority party, the Republicans, to basically provide the citizens reasons why we're paying an extra buck a gallon for fuel. A few years ago, I testified in Sacramento, you know, along with the uh, senator, in support of this bill because the price of the pump is a dumping ground. State tax, federal tax, excise tax, all the environmental regulations, it's all dumped into that posted price. To my surprise, the Democratic-controlled committee killed the bill. But today, we're hearing the same concerns and the dance continues. If we can generate more cost-effective electricity and zero-emission electricity in state, we would accomplish the goals. We're trying to reduce emissions and we can control that in the most environmentally controlled location in the world. At some point, people must reach a pain point, right? They should be getting tired of all of this. Is there any push to maybe build more generation here? I mean, what are the solutions being discussed? I haven't seen any. As you know, California has the most expensive electricity and fuels in the nation, which contributes to the state having the highest poverty rate and highest homeless rates in America. Right. Well, that's something I wanted to talk to you about. You talk in your op-ed about energy poverty, which is something I haven't heard about since I was working with the coal groups. Can you explain that? Yes. 45% of the 40 million people in California are Hispanic or African Americans. That's 18 million people. Households here are paying 50% more for electricity than the national average. Industrial users are paying double the national average for electricity. And that goes into the cost of everything, the cost of vegetables, construction materials, and it's all being borne by the people who can least afford it. That's where the energy poverty is. You know, the interesting thing, we got two environmental programs, the cap and trade and low carbon fuel standard. They're just kicking into high gear. They're getting more and more difficult to meet the reduced emissions, and there's more cost can be loaded onto the price of fuel. And just those two environmental standards are projected by 2030, they may add another buck or two to the cost of fuel. The state's Democratic leaders of this highly regressive climate schemes have engendered and continue to inflict disparate financial hardships on the middle and lower income workers in minority communities. Newsom is doing everything possible, believe us or not, to increase both. More power plant closures and increased cost of electricity. He wants to further reduce in-state oil production which is going to further increase the cost of fuel. So getting to this idea of energy poverty, so is the idea that we should be punished into using less energy? Energy consumption is a lot more inelastic than most people think, especially when they need to drive to their jobs. Right. The book that I just wrote, Just Green Electricity, the subtitle is Helping Citizens Understand a World Without Fossil Fuels. Before 1900, you have to remember, the world had very little commerce and without transportation.
days. Without transportation, there is no commerce. The two prime movers that's done more to cause globalization than any other is a diesel engine and a jet turbine, and both get their fuels from oil. Today, we're enjoying the 6,000 products that we get from the oil derivatives. Yeah, Ron, in getting to oil and gas, you cite in your op-ed that the state gets most of its oil now from foreign sources. The table that you show, if you trace it back, California used to produce most of its own oil until 2004. So what foreign sources is it getting its oil from now? And why couldn't we start piping oil there from shale plays in Texas and Colorado? You know, there's some places that are quite close. Well, Jay, you have to remember, California is an energy island. We're inhabited by roughly 40 million citizens and we're situated between the Pacific Ocean, the Arizona, Nevada state line and the Sierra Mountains. There's no existing pipelines over the Sierra Mountains that run along the eastern California border. It effectively separates most of the state from the rest of the country. To access the oil shell boom that the rest of the country is enjoying, that oil must go through the Panama Canal. It's the way to get to California ports. Crude oil by trucks or by railroads, both have been pulled out environmentally. We're the only state in contiguous America that imports most of the crude oil energy demands from foreign country suppliers to meet the energy demands of the state. The imported crude oil cost California $60 million a day. Being paid to oil-rich foreign countries, depriving Californians of jobs, careers, and business opportunities. Newsom wants to further decrease in-state production, and there's more than 8,000 active wells located within 2,500 feet buffer zone, representing about 30% of the 30,000 active wells. These setbacks would further reduce the California crude production to the point that foreign imports needed to make up for the in-state reduction would drive up monthly costs to more than $80 million a day rich foreign countries. And they're not even sending us a thank you card. We become a national security risk being dependent on foreign countries for our existence. Ron, it was recently announced that Governor Newsom wants to ban all new gas-powered cars by 2035. Now, how is that going to work? It's not going to work very well for the people living in California, that's for sure. He's banning the sale of new gas-powered vehicles. He's not banning the re-registration of the old clunkers. And so if you can't buy a new car, most people probably just re-register their old one. And in 40, 50 years, we'll look like Cuba. We'll have all these 40, 50-year-old clunkers that are polluting. That's one caveat of his requirement. And the other one is, if you can't buy a gas-powered car in California, you can drive over to Arizona and Nevada and buy it there and just come back here and register it here. I think I heard one time there was a statistic that electric vehicles are subsidized by people who on an average make over a hundred thousand dollars a year right what about all those folks making thirty forty thousand dollars a year can they afford an electric vehicle well you're right Jay I think statistically 70 percent respondents to a survey had a four-year college degree and averaged upwards of two hundred thousand dollars in income basically they're being subsidized for the people that can afford it and the people that do have an EV usually it's not the primary vehicle but but you're right. California is a service state. We've got rid of a lot of the manufacturing that used to be here. And you're right. A lot of people are making pretty much minimum wage. They can barely afford the vehicles they have. And to have them buy a new vehicle, it's, it's going to be few and far between. And, you know, people that have EVs usually have a garage. Pull in the garage, plug your car in. A lot of people that are minimum wage, it's tough to find parking spaces. If you park on the street, 
you need a long extension cord to charge it. For the citizens of California, it's going to be devastating. Right. And look, I mean, another good point you've made in the past is that you pay for roads by gasoline taxes. First of all, are there going to be any gas stations? Are they going to want to just phase out gas stations and also inflict more pain? But how do you get revenue for upgrading your roads when the fuel tax is gone because no one's buying fuel? Well, Jay, you're right. California has almost 400,000 miles of roadways. We generally collect an excess of $7 billion from all the taxes on the fuel. Yeah, when those go away, the governor, he didn't say it in the speech, but his plan is the VMT, the vehicle mileage tax. Because right now, electric vehicle owners, they're riding our freeways, but they're not paying to maintain the freeways. So the vehicle mileage tax is going to be, you know, let the user pay. Most people don't have electric vehicles. How is a vehicle mileage tax assessed? That's a debatable question and a very argumentative question because they're trying to figure that out. You take odometer readings. Do you find out where the people work? I don't know. because it's not uh, when you get your car inspected. They just read it off and give you a bill. Except they don't inspect cars. We got 31 million registered vehicles. You want to implement an inspection program? That's going to be an infringement on people's rights. You know? So it's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know how they're going to do that. Well, one solution, many, many more questions. Yeah, I think the governor, he basically speaks without talking about the unintended consequences. And you're going to have older vehicles polluting the atmosphere. You're not going to have the taxes to pay for the roads. And he wants to add also electrical charging requirements onto California's electrical grid system, which is having blackouts. I just don't understand his, his thinking. He doesn't look at all the aspects and the repercussions of some of the stuff comes out of his mouth. Well, if you were Governor Ron Stein, a great state of California, just kind of summing up here, what would be your remedies be? And I would guess it would be all of the above. More transmission, more generation, carbon-free if you want it, but baseload, something like nuclear, and hopefully maybe more pipelines, <laughs> just more everything, right, Ron? The real reason we have what we have is we keep electing the same people. I would encourage the citizens to become more energy literate. There's many books out there I've written to. They read one or both or some other books. Become energy literate. And then, and only then, if they feel we have the right energy policies, great. Keep electing the same people. If you think they're dysfunctional, change the leadership. Absolutely. All right. Ron Stein, PTS Advance. Thank you so much for your time. Jay, it was a pleasure. That was Ron Stein, author and ambassador for energy and infrastructure for PTS Advance, an energy firm based in California. And one more quick note about Ron. If you look closely on his LinkedIn page, you'll see he deviated from his career in energy in the late 80s briefly to work on one of the most famous amusement park rides in history. That's right, Ron was the project manager responsible for the Jaws ride at Universal Studios. I want to thank Ron for his time, as well as Craig Rucker and Michael Getz from C-Fact for helping me to bring Ron on. Good to be working with you guys again. You can find plenty of pictures on energy-cast.com, as well as on Instagram and Parlor at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 94. Be sure to join us next Next week, we learn about how our nation's utilities are preparing for a cyber attack on one of the most remote locations in the country. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.